I should feel, I want to feel gratitude for what I've accomplished. And that's a really hard lesson to learn. But it's it's supporting someone shift that focus from outside things to inside feelings and to make them understand, oh, you've got so many amazing things. Oh my God, I want a session with yeah, her. I'm right literally, now. I'm literally <laughs> looking at you going, oh I, my God, you're saying everything I want to hear. I don't know if anybody in the room noticed that, but me and Courtney were just like, but, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Marr and I'm delighted to welcome to studio my panel this week, life coach, mentor and founder of The Better Life Project, Sarah Doyle and fashion stylist, designer and creative director, Courtney Smith. Later on, we'll be joined by three-time Olympian and professional badminton player, Chloe McGee. But first, ladies, you're very welcome to the show. We like to kick things off with a little game to get everyone comfortable. So it's called Six Words or Less and it's for our listeners and our readers of her.ie who may not know who you are so six words or less it can be a sentence or it can be a string of words and Courtney because you're checking your phone we're going to (laughs) kick off with you because you're cheating and you were cheating yesterday as well this is not cheating you were cheating yesterday can I just say Sarah Courtney (laughs) was cheating yesterday because I saw on her Instagram she was going around asking all the people that she was with to describe her in six words or less that's not cheating that's just great foresight I wish wish that I had done something like that preparation it's really hard (laughs) to describe yourself without sounding really self-obsessed I know go on then let's see if you can okay, so this it. is how other people describe me <laughs> that's not the game whatever I'm going with it uh, passionate they're all kind of mean the same thing but anyway passionate determined creative creative insatiable hungry and kind Oh, they're all basically to do with work and then kind just in at the end to make okay. sure that people think I'm human <laughs> I love insatiable and also hungry that's to do with work it's not to do with food maybe a bit of both maybe a bit of both two meanings I like that Sarah (laughs) six words or less I think about four of mine are the exact same but I would use passionate kind strong ambitious determined lover of all things red Oh, okay. Just to to confuse everyone. (laughs) Is that to do with the boots that you're wearing that nobody can see? Yeah. The boots are lovely. (laughs) I really like those boots. Thank Um, you. So Sarah, before we get into things, I do want to ask you about the Better Life Project. So it's a business for you and it's also a movement and Mm -hmm. it's dedicated to helping your clients live, and I'm quoting now, happy, healthy, positive and confident lives. Mm. So tell me, when did you start the Better Life Project? I started, so about four years ago, I was working in Trinity College for a few years, Became no, was no longer fulfilled by that role anymore. So I started to pursue life coaching, set it up as, as a little side project. So yeah. something that I just did in between um, meeting with my friends or sports and work that just afforded me so much fulfillment and satisfaction. Things kicked off in 2011 with the Better Life Project and I started working on it full time in about 2014. So I was nurturing it for about two years as a meaningful side project. Um, I've been working as a coach for about six, full time for about four. If you were to, again, I'm not going to go into like six words or less here, but exactly Mm -hmm. what a life coach 
does. So yeah. if, if a client was coming to you and being like, okay, I need a life coach, what exactly is it that you're offering your clients? Absolutely. I support people achieve their personal and professional goals. Most of the work I do around women is helping them break through fear, doubt and insecurity. I think everyone in this room or listening to this can understand what it's like to experience our inner critic, that little inner mean girl voice, fear, doubt or insecurity. So I break through all of that to help them achieve their goals. And what kind of clientele do you have? You said women is a predominantly women. women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of Most. all ages. Um, yes, I'll do work with young girls as part of some projects as young as five or six and some of my clients have been um, well into their 60s. It's not the age that defines the woman's experience. Um, It's the circumstances and it doesn't matter what age you are, you're still going to experience fear. You're still going to experience moments of overwhelming doubt. That doesn't matter how old you are. Um, We're going to talk about ageing a little bit later on, so we we will get back to that. But Courtney, you've been very busy. You're constantly busy. Like when I look at your social media, you're just always off on shoots and you work in fashion. So fashion, it works a season ahead. So we're Mm -hmm. all cosy now in our jumpers and getting our winter gear on, but you're doing shoots and stuff for spring, summer. Is that what's going on? Yeah, I shot my first spring editorial uh, this week, which was in Dublin and absolutely freezing. And you have to make it look like it's summery, which is not easy that's why I travel so much so I'm actually in LA next week shooting spring summer campaigns and editorials because it's obviously so much easier to shoot when you're summer sunny um, so yeah we're, we're a whole season ahead and uh, it keeps me on my toes it's good it's, yeah it's busy but as with a lot of things there's there's lulls and there's highs and when it comes to like December and sales season I'm absolutely dead like there's no work really going on yeah so I use that as my admin time as my I've kind of got to know that and like you know I'm 10 years doing it now so I know that that's going to be my day in time and I'll use that to relax a little bit maybe go on a holiday um I do all my admin and I kind of get recharged for what's going to come in January. We're going to talk about um, some life rules now and we'll get back to your individual industries in a little while. So during the week there was this tweet that went viral and it was a lad called Gav Murphy. I can't I can't pronounce his Twitter name but it doesn't really matter. Anyway, so he asked for a weird life rule that you made up for yourself and that you stick to religiously. And it's so funny when these tweets go viral because he doesn't have a huge amount of followers. It was just something that he kind of wanted to ask and it absolutely just went mental so some of the responses were quite sweet some of them were just completely gas and then some of them were random AF so one of them was (laughs) which I loved never get a haircut on the same day as the occasion but that's just good sense yeah never I I took that down as a note did you (laughs) if I find an odd sock it goes into a holding pen if I don't find its partner within a month then it's in the bin I no like mercy. That That's a great rule, yeah. isn't it? Brilliant one. Yeah. I just have a sock drawer full of random socks. Mm, I'm wearing odd socks right now. This was it. So there was a lot of responses. But do you have any life rules that you live by religiously? Y- yeah, but none of them are fun or quirky. See, no, I feel like this is okay because I feel like this is going to be yeah. a good conversation, especially okay. coming from you. So I'm, I'm presuming that you're going to give us incredible, insightful life rules oh, now. I, I hope you're all sitting here. That, <laughs> that um, we're going to live for. No, I think it's something It's something that's evolved um, and I've really started to get my head around over the last couple of years. Um, but if I wouldn't say it to a best friend, I wouldn't say it to myself. And I try to stick with that as religiously as I can. Oh, um, I like that one. 
yeah. mm. and that that one for me has been quite life changing. Yeah. Um, because as I've transitioned from a very stable nine to five job into being self employed, like the whiplash, it's up and down. Mm. And when you were yeah. talking about the roller coaster ride, I just said, it's not just me, thank God. Um, so it can be very overwhelming. So you mean when you say if you wouldn't say to best friend, you wouldn't say it to yourself? You're talking about how you treat yourself how I treat myself so it's everything down to that first glimpse of myself in the mirror or um, getting dressed up for a night out or reviewing um, a blog or reflecting over a conversation with a client or a friend criticising myself beating myself up that's not going to make me feel any better yeah so if I wouldn't say it to a best friend I'm not going to say it to myself that's a really good one Courtney what about you see yours is so sensible mine is going to sound absolutely ridiculous now <laughs> well mine's I, about I, milk so I have I, oh work out mm. yeah uh, well I have, a, I have a sensible one and I have a, a probably ridiculous one made sense to me at the time my sensible one is I write a list of you're going to love this oh. I write a list of three goals that I want to achieve every year and I write them like at the beginning of the year and like they are my goals and I like and every single year I get those goals That's like brilliant. every oh, single year do and I don't that. know if it's, I love it yeah. mm-hmm. now if I didn't hit it I don't know I didn't make the goals like mm-hmm. happen I don't know like what I feel a sel- sense of underachievement or something I'm not sure mm-hmm. but so far so good so it hasn't happened yet that you haven't achieved them. no Brilliant. I've always ticked every every three off and I've been doing that since I started my career so that that's literally like this is going into my 10th year that every year I'm like bam that's really so sensible right. I don't want to tell you about my milk one now what's your other one <laughs> <laughs> my other one <laughs> um, I I used to break up with guys after three months like on the three month button no way yeah and it was like a thi- like it was actually like a dating rule that I would date I would date guys and then I hope none of my ex boyfriends are listening to this. Um, I would literally- they probably aren't <laughs> probably not. Uh, yeah, because it's called girls with goals. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would break up with them like within three months, and if it, if it wasn't broken up by three months, it was like on the third month anniversary. Do you know today is National Unfaithful Day and it's it's also the day that you tactically break up with your other half because it's just that little bit far away from Christmas that it's not like a really bent thing to do but you don't have to like you know are they really worth a grand do I really have to buy them all these gifts so today is the day that apparently do that Um, I used to do that with six monthers Okay Yeah well I was three I felt like three was like the perfect amount of time to make it kind of meaningful but not too much right and have fun and yeah I kind of I used to kind of then when I was like trying to you know make my career I used it as an excuse for that I was like I don't have time for boyfriends so yeah like as a younger girl it was probably protection Mm -hmm. so you don't get too close too hurt Mm -hmm. and then I liked the freedom of like I know this makes no sense at all but I suppose as again as a younger girl I liked the freedom of just being able to travel the world and not have to worry mm. about somebody else I do it was, it was a very selfish thing to kind of think about but that was it I'm, I was being selfish I don't mm. think it's selfish I think that's kind of like one of the rules that I live by now which I used to not live by but my brother said it to me at one point I remember it was kind of a couple of years ago and I was going through a shitty time with like work and my relationships and stuff mm-hmm. like this and he said something to me um, which in high- well at the time I actually gave out to him because I thought it was really mean but it actually makes a lot of sense he was like Neve nobody actually gives a crap about you and I was like oh, oh thanks, thanks. 
thanks brother <laughs> you're my favourite um, but he was saying it in a way of like you have to take care mm. of yourself I was consumed at the time by what other people mm. thought it's a protection mechanism a prote- I think we're all yeah. going to have them yeah. at some stage we're all going to just do something to protect our own energy and our own best interests absolutely and I don't think sometimes we kind of fall back on oh well I'm being selfish but not really because at this time in my life I was completely consumed by what other people were thinking of me but it's really true Mm -hmm. you do have to kind of look after your own interests the other rule that I have in life is that I only ever drink fresh milk I had that rule about cold milk Really? Yeah, and if I put cold, if I um, made a bowl of cereal for breakfast and the milk went warm, I would chuck out the entire bowl of cereal and start again. Now, it can be described as wasteful, but... I, sorry, I'm confused. Like, it's not like you're going to drink gone-off milk, so... No, I wouldn't, but I would only ever drink, like, on a day-to-day basis. I probably shouldn't say this in my work because we get milk delivered here and they'll be on to me. <laughs> um, but I always open a fresh thing oh, of milk every okay. single day. I thought you were going to say there was a cow out in the back. If I could bring a cow around with me and just take it straight from the udders, I would. But in my previous work, they didn't deliver milk on a Tuesday. So I didn't have, like, my whole breakfast routine changed on a Tuesday because of that. So I'm weird with milk. It needs to be People really fresh. People can be very funny with milk. I know. And there was another, I was asking around in the office about um, weird life rules that people have. And one of the producers was saying that he only ever leaves rooms with his left foot. Oh, that is weird. Wow. That is, da- that, that's... Yeah. That's like I feel like we're getting into OCD. Yeah, kind of. that's not even a rule. That's just on another level. <laughs> do you have any weird little quirks that you do like that? You do a lot of public speaking now I at do, the moment. Yeah. Courtney, you do as well. You yeah. do a lot of public. Do you have yeah. any kind of tricks of the trade before you go and speak at a public event? I'd get I, terribly nervous if I was doing that. Uh, one of my first ever gigs was live TV. Like literally, as a freelance stylist, um, I was completely thrown in the deep end. So, I mean, that was one way to learn, just go in and do it. Um, I kind of, I drink a lot of coffee because I feel like the more energy I give off, the more interesting mm-hmm. I'll sound. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's what I think anyway. Um, doesn't matter what I'm saying as long as I'm like, woo. Um, what else do I do? I, te- I, I breathe. I do the whole... Right before you go speak. Just to kind of positive energy and to make sure that I'm not rambling too much and to kind of get my thoughts together. Sarah, what about you? Public speaking. Um, Because obviously that was something you weren't doing, I'm presuming, in your previous role. No, um, but it's something that I love doing. I did a a TEDx talk there recently. I saw your TED talk. It's brilliant. Thank you. So that was, I was terrified, more scared of of that talk than anything that I'd ever done before. So I got this incredible piece of advice from my uncle, which is really similar to what yeah, Courtney does. But he told me to breathe out my ass. And I looked at him and I just said, mm, how long do we have so you can explain what you mean? And what he was basically encouraging me to do was to take very, very deep breaths right into the bottom of my stomach. Okay, um, And I did that and it made the world of difference to me getting onto the stage. And why were you so nervous about this as opposed to your other public? Because you you hold these empowered women workshops and stuff so you're obviously very used to kind of speaking. What was it about a TED talk? Maybe it's just, is it just the TED talk element? Um, It it, it was. um, 
it was also the first time that I spoke openly about an eating disorder that I had um, from a young teenager up until about my mid-twenties so I was very nervous about that. Um, I would do a huge amount of work with women around body image and Mm -hmm. self-esteem but I carried a lot of shame with me around that eating disorder so that was one of the reasons why I was so nervous. I had my family there, there was a lot of people watching me and I was so afraid that people would just go, oh, is, is that it? Oh, yeah. okay. Big deal, Sarah. So I was very nervous about that. Um, well, you didn't come across nervous. I'll send you the link, Courtney. It's a mm, really yeah, great uh, talk. No, um, it was really good. Yeah. But breathing out of my ass, breathing in general, yeah. it, it's, it's underestimated. I know, sometimes you forget to breathe. <laughs> you really do. And it, and it sounds so stupid, but like that's the only time I... I think I breathe yeah. like genuinely yeah. is before I have to go on live TV or to do a talk and I do it just to like I said get yeah. my thoughts together but I actually recently just did um, a retreat in Ibiza called the Body Camp Ibiza and I thought it was going to be like this whole big fitness thing and all that mm. sort of stuff but actually a lot of it was to do with like meditation like like just thinking to yourself breathing we actually mm. did breathing exercises and like they taught us essentially how to breathe and like one day one of the guys like you're not actually breathing like for a full workout like, like, mm-hmm. like I don't think you've taken a breath and you kind of forget that you have yeah. to do that so it's a very important tool I think in everyday life not just for public speaking so mm-hmm. I can do it for when I need to do it but I forget to do it every other time absolutely yeah. we're going to take a quick breath to prepare us for the next topic which is ageing so our athlete this week has been called a poster girl for badminton in Ireland three time Olympian Chloe McGee joined me earlier in the week I've played badminton for so many years but it all started back in uh, I come from a very small town Rafo in County Donegal and my dad is uh, he's a big badminton fanatic and he ran the local club in our town which happens to be a church hall like everybody kind of thinks about badminton in Ireland as being from a church hall so I started in a one court hall and um, my dad played with me since I was a young age and he just seen that me and my brothers we had a bit you know good coordination we were playing quite well and um, it all started there and yeah, kind of, he brought us to tournaments and that all went from there. And were there a lot of people playing badminton at the time when you were a junior? Because when I started playing squash, I used to play in the boys' competitions because there wasn't a huge amount of girls playing. And I think badminton and squash, probably the same amount of people are playing them. So, I mean, was there a lot of girls your age playing or were you kind of out on your own a bit? Um, I think there was a group of girls. I wouldn't say like huge numbers, but there was always, you know, 10 or 15 girls playing yeah. and you know all the tournaments that you went to it was kind of always the same people you know you were playing the same people all the time so yeah you know it was a small group but the couple that were playing at the kind of better level they were all kind of similar level yeah. so um, they all played um, there was a couple of girls that were actually the same level as me but then when they got to 18, 19, 20 they kind of dropped off and went into different things in life whereas you know I chose to go the the professional route in Bampton And what age did you make that decision? Yeah, so when I was doing my leave insert, I got an offer from this club in Sweden to come and train in Sweden. Okay. So the coach was actually originally Irish, but he lives in Sweden now. And he said, you know, if I wanted to give it a shot, then it could come and train full time in Sweden. And I mean, after leave insert, um, for me, it was kind of, you know, wanted to go to college, wanted to do the whole normal thing and that everybody else does. Because at that time, there wasn't that many people playing professional badminton. And yeah. there certainly wasn't that many from Ireland that went and tried to make a career out of badminton. So I was kind of a bit hesitant. And my dad was like, no, this is a great opportunity. You know, have to go, have to give it a shot. So I was like, right, after my leave was out, finished, literally packed my bags, went to Sweden. And um, 
yeah, it was probably the best decision I've made. So you've been to the Olympics three times. So 2008 was your first one and that was in Beijing. And you kind of made history there as well because you were the first Irish badminton player to ever win a match at the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. What was that entire experience like for you? It was a bit crazy because Beijing Olympics, I never imagined even qualifying for. So when I went to Sweden, the goal was always London. And the coach that was working with me was like, you know, we'll put a good structure in place and we'll try and develop towards London and that's where you want to qualify. And then things just kind of went well that year. I got lucky with draws, you know, I kind of won games that were very close and just everything that could have went my way went my way. Yeah. And I qualified for Beijing. So I was very young going there and I was quite, you know, naive as to what it would be and went to this Olympic Games that was massive, you know, going into a huge village full of you know, even travelling an Irish team full of so many great athletes. Yeah. Um it was quite it was quite scary. But um when I went there, like I just really loved it. Like yeah. it was the best I know it is everybody says it's cliche, like, you know, it's the best, but it is the best time in my life. It was so, so good. So what happened to you then after two thousand eight? How did your life change? Because you were then, you know, an Olympic athlete and obviously Everybody in Ireland knew who you were then because it was such a huge achievement to do that. So did you come back home and kind of reset your goals about, and was 2012 then the focal point for you? Yeah, so actually after Beijing, um, I left Sweden, um, just made the decision to come home. Didn't really want to, uh, I still wanted to play badminton, but just needed to find a different way to do it. Yeah. Um, It was just... uh, Beijing was so motivating like I wanted to make another Olympics I'd been there I wanted to do the whole thing again but you know four years felt like such a long time and I didn't want to be in Sweden for another four years I knew that so I came home and then we kind of made a smaller system in Ireland and then before London it got a bit better and the goal was always then to make London and even with Bams in Ireland you know whenever we were setting targets that was my target was 2012 London trained towards it wanted to be there did everything to be there and made it quite comfortably and London it was definitely out of the three the best Olympics I've ever been to really including Rio yeah 100% what made a difference I think London was um it was just so special. Like, in, I know everybody says it's a, it is like a home Olympics. Um, some of my family were there. I mean, it's just like being at home, really. Yeah. You know, it's all the same food. It's the same climate. It's the same. You know, you sleep in the same times, and it was just. Um, I mean, even after the games, before the games, we spent eight weeks in a training camp in London. So you know, everything was such a build up to it. There was so much media because obviously it's just across the way. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it was. It was just an unbelievable games. Everything about it was really good. Nothing went wrong. Everything was just perfectly done. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it a lot. So I know you went to Rio as well then in 2016, but you have kind of stepped away slightly from singles now and you're playing with your brother uh, in mixed doubles. Was that a conscious decision that you made or are you still going to play singles or what kind of brought you to that decision? Um, Yeah, singles. I mean, I've played singles for the last, nine ten years yeah and um I really enjoyed it I had um some really good ones at some highs in my career but I had a lot of lows come near the end um and my body wasn't letting me do what I wanted to do I didn't want to be around 30 40 in the world my whole career that was yeah. never in my head that was never what I wanted to do with my career and I didn't believe that my singles could go any further and me and Sam myself we had played mixed for quite a long time as well and yeah. we'd always had good results but not brilliant results because I was focusing on singles and after Rio 
I just needed to change something up. I mean, I was starting to just, you know, I was getting a bit fed up with Bampton. Needed to, I needed something new, some new goals, something to motivate me to keep going, or else I was going to stop. And yeah. for me, that was to stop singles and to focus on mixed and to give it, um, give it my full priority for a while and see how it goes. And Sam is your younger brother, right? Yeah, by thirteen months. By thir- oh, so yeah, so not not that much. What's it like working with your brother then? As obviously you guys have to train together a lot. I mean, me and my brother grew up playing together, and we kill each other on course, like one hundred percent, kill each other. Of course, we're like any other brother <laughs> and sister. So, um, and it is actually quite tough to play with your brother. I mean, in some ways. It's really, really good because yeah. we know each other so well. I know what makes him work and he knows what makes me work. But in other ways, you can say stuff to your brother that you wouldn't say to someone else. So um, Sam and myself, we actually work with a psychologist to help us a bit with that. Okay. Um, you know, we were just sometimes very critical of each other and yeah. um, pointing out things that we both already knew. We didn't need to point them out. So we work with a psychologist, uh, Kate Kirby in the Institute. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, she gave us a whole new insight into realising that, you know, Sam can make a mistake and I can accept it and I can make a mistake and he can accept it and we don't have to be at each other all the time. And it actually really helped us. So when we got into really difficult situations in the court and pressure moments that, you know, we actually realised, OK, I don't need to tell Sam that he missed that shot. He already knows that, so just move on, Chloe. Yeah. You know? So, um I mean, everybody says it's all mental, but mental is a huge part of sport now. Absolutely. We were talking before there about just the amount that you're travelling and stuff. Now, without being crass and just asking you flat out how much money you make. But (laughs) I mean, badminton, for example, like you said that you were top 30, top 40 in the world in singles. If you compare that to tennis, there's a huge disparity in terms of wages and stuff. Does badminton Ireland support you a lot when it comes to training and with travelling and that kind of stuff? Or is it like, what's it like being a pro on tour? Is it tough? Yeah, I mean, Bamden, I mean, you're not going to make millions. It's, mm. it's definitely not tennis. And we do get our uh, Sport Ireland grants. And yeah. Bamden, Ireland, you know, they pay for so many of our tournaments per year. So, I mean, it's tough if you're doing well. You'll always have enough to get by in life. But, I mean, when we stop in Bamden, we're going to be starting from scratch. You know, you're going yeah. to have to work again. It's it's not a job that you're going to make millions out of. But, um, yeah, Bamden, Ireland do help us as much as they can. And uh, obviously with Sam myself won the European medal this year, it makes things a bit better for us. So, yeah, uh, that was earlier this year, wasn't it? Yeah, that was in April. So that for me was probably the biggest achievement of my whole career. In Denmark, right? It was in Denmark, yeah. yeah. And, you know, when you're winning medals, obviously it's okay. But if you're, uh, you know, for example, I'm through a whole year trying to qualify for Rio. And I think that everything that could have went wrong did go wrong. Right. And things just weren't going my way at all. But, you know, you just push through those years and you come through it and you know then if you're not winning any tournaments you're not doing quite well you're not making much money out of badminton so yeah. I mean it's just it's the same as any sport if you're doing well it's okay if you're not doing well it's you know you, you do struggle a bit and you yeah. have to put your you have to put part of your own money into badminton but I mean we've always known that and it's kind of a dream and it's something that you want to do so you know if you believe you're gonna it's gonna make you better you're You'll, you'll do it. And you said there about, you know, having to kind of always think about having a job, another job at some point. Yeah. I mean, you're you're only, are you 28, 29? 29, yeah. 29. So yeah. you're only 29, so you don't have to worry about retirement yet. But have you thought about that in the future? What other things would you do? Do you coach? Um, yeah, I mean, I could coach if I wanted to. I mean, I'm not sure if I want to just stop full-time Bampton and yeah. then go straight into coaching Bampton. Um, of course, I mean, a dream in the future for Sam myself would be to have our own academy yeah. back in Donegal where we started. And that's something that we've always thought about. So, you know, we'd love to put a plan in place that we can make that happen. Are you seeing a lot of young girls coming up through juniors? I'm always interested in seeing 
how many young girls are starting to play sport and yeah. is there a bit of a pick up from when you were playing are you are you starting to notice it a bit more uh, definitely I mean I can even see in Bampton Ireland alone the amount of girls that are playing in their academy now it's huge yeah. I mean when I started playing girls they came to 17, 18, 19 they go to college they more or less stop playing sport because that's kind of the way it was and that's just the way it was in Ireland people just always did that whereas now it's like people are starting to get into high performance sport they're starting to really have goals they yeah. want to go places with their sport and they want to have their education and I think this is so important that we can show girls that it is possible to do that that you don't have to just be you know this whole society of going to college and you going out drinking that it is possible to go to college and train and mm. you know make the most of the best of both worlds and I definitely see even from a young age like five, six, seven you can see girls coming into sport and it's important you know it's important for everything it's important for your health it's important for all parts of your life so I think to play sport from a young age is, is huge benefits to it Now I know you have to run off so I have to let you go <laughs> to training but uh, what's the rest of the season looking like for you where are you off to next? Yeah, so um, I play league in Germany, so I've got quite a few matches there to finish up before the end of the year. I'm going to Scottish Open and I've got Irish Open in December. And Where's the Irish Open on? Dublin. Oh. Uh, it's in the National Indoor Arena, Blanchestown, actually. So Brilliant. If you uh, get across to there, get across and come and see Absolutely. us play. Yeah, that's on now and start of December. And then after that, we're um, off for Christmas. So you'll take a break and head back home? I'll go back to Donegal, yeah. I think uh, that's where my heart is, is yeah. back there. Um, I, lo- I, lo- I love being in Dublin too, but um, I really like getting home and uh, seeing my family. And Christmas is always a nice time in Donegal, so yeah, I'll look forward to that. Brilliant. Well, best of luck with the season, Chloe. Thanks very much for coming in. Thank you very much. Okay, so we're back. During the week, I saw a piece and it caught my eye and it was about ageing. And it was about when the quarter-life crisis is meant to hit. Apparently, that hits at 26 and nine months. So uh, the piece was in the UK's Independent. And basically, a clinical psychologist, Dr. Alex Fauk, defines the quarter-life crisis as a period of insecurity, doubt and disappointment surrounding your career, relationships and financial situation. Now, that's kind of more... That's more focused on the panic that sets in when people haven't gotten like on the property ladder and when they haven't found a life partner or if they're not happy in their career and stuff. So we'll go back to that. But first, I just want to focus in on the aging process itself. So we're all obsessed with youth, obviously. Courtney, particularly in your industry. <laughs> and you're going to say Courtney, particularly yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think our fascination with trying to halt the aging process is? And especially working in fashion. Uh, um, I don't know. Less wrinkly skin. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Actually, I think Ireland is pretty good with um, with in my industry in in the fashion industry. I know, for example, I work a lot with Irish Country Magazine, and they're constantly putting um, older models in our editorials. And that's coming down from like from the editor. She's like, I don't want a seventeen-year-old model. I want a model. I saw Sarah in- Rafferty was on the cover. Sarah <sighs> Rafferty was, on, and she's amazing. Um, I styled her in Toronto, and that was like that was brilliant. But you know, she's and she's had such a brilliant career. And again, we've had Celia Holman Lee on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in the editorials, when it comes to booking models, I've had to go to mature model agencies. Mm-hmm. Just and, and this sounds bizarre. Mature model agencies to get models over twenty-five. Over twenty-five. Mm. Yeah. So that's like. 
mature. Yeah, mm. that is mature now. So, but it is like when you go to the, especially if you're flying in a model from the UK and you go to the agencies, um, most of the models you're looking at between 14 and 24. Like once they're over 24, like unless they're really established, like international mm. model, that's old. Um, oh, that makes me feel sad. Yeah. So, um, but I'm constantly booking models that are older because firstly, they're better models for the most part, mm-hmm. I always find. They've got life experience. They can bring a bit of attitude to it. Uh, they can bring something more than just poses to it, I mm-hmm. always feel. And the experience for me working on set with them is just so much more... Um, I, I didn't even know how to describe it. Like, there's you, like, you know, la- the last shoot that I did for Irish Country um, for last autumn winter... I booked three models. I had one woman in her 50s, one in her 40s and one in her 30s. Mm-hmm. And it was possibly the best shoot I've ever done. They were just so incredible. They had these life stories and the shots were insane. And I don't think I could compare that if I'd had a 16, 17 and 18 year old. Yeah. It, it's mm-hmm. completely different. Um, and I think we're definitely championing different age groups now. And, you know, like internationally as well okay. but there is always going to be an obsession with youth like I mean I think that's a that's more of a cultural thing than an industry thing though yeah definitely yeah. Sarah how do you feel personally about getting older it, it's it's one of my irrational fears would you believe really and it's something that I'm only starting to understand and wrap my head around um, in the last few years the older I get the younger I feel and myself and my fiance both mm-hmm. think that we're both 32 and I feel like I'm turning 25 so that's mm-hmm. really bizarre but what I keep on coming back to whenever I feel I'm another year older I'm another year older I keep on reminding myself that growing old is a privilege that not many of us get to experience yeah. and it's so true and if you open your eyes to the world and what's going on around us you know there are people who are dying before they get to my age that I am yeah. next so I try to remind myself of that on a continual basis and personally that makes a massive difference to how I feel about it I have no idea why but it's always been you know it's it's, it's my spiders I guess No I I completely agree with you I for some reason in the last few years it's kind of hit me more and I think turning 30 is, Mm -hmm. is a big milestone but it's also we seem to place these huge or a huge emphasis on these kind of placeholders in our life so mm-hmm. turning 25 is one and then turning 30 turning 40 turning yeah. 50 all, so 30 for some reason it just hit me like a ton of bricks and I was like shit I need to change my career I need to sort my mm-hmm. life out I need to get on the property ladder like I was basically a cliche but I'm, I've am i become very much aware of my age what about you Courtney when you turn 30 I mean are you 30? <laughs> I am 30. Never uh, ask a woman's age. Sorry. I'm 30, yeah. I, yeah, I had a bit of a moment. I um, I did what 50-year-old men do. I bought a Harley-Davidson. Yes! <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what have I always wanted to do? I wanted to learn how to ride a bike, so Courtney, I went and did a course. officially and then- <laughs> the sexiest person I know. That's amazing. Yeah, I bought a Harley when I was 30. As you do. Amazing. Do you have it like outside the studio? It was a bit cold this morning, so not this morning. Um, But I'm more of a fair weather rider. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't regret it, though. I love the bike. Um, But yeah, I think there is a sense of what have I accomplished? Where am I going? Where's my relationship going? Like, everybody has that at some stage or another. Uh, Mine was the 30 milestone. Mm. Yeah. And... um, 
And I've kind of been doing that for this whole year, since May, since I turned 30. Because um, I've i always said that I want to live in New York. And I'm like, I'm 30 and I haven't lived in New York yet. What's going on? So, like, I'm mm-hmm. I'm trying to make the steps to make that happen. And even if I just go for three months, I've now got my, me- my media visa, which means that I can actually go over and work there. So, you know, I'm baby steps. But I don't want to be 50 years old and not have done New York the way I said I would do it because I know I'll regret that Mm -hmm. so it's a weird situation because I feel like the three of us in particular like I think we all have our careers in common in terms of Mm -hmm. like you know you both described yourselves as passionate in your six words or less and obviously your careers are really important to you but that was something that I never got to travel because I was Mm -hmm. focusing on my career straight out of college Mm -hmm. and I think when I turned 30 that was one of the things that I was like you know am I going to regret that as I get older but I suppose that might be something that you deal with with your clients, Sarah. Like, do do people that come to you feel a sense of regret with things that they haven't done? For example, like, even if you look at yourself in the world now, as opposed to 10 years ago, like, I definitely think I'm more fulfilled and I definitely think I'm doing better. But have I done everything that I want to do? Absolutely not. Mm. I think there's a lot of people who will place their happiness on external things. Yeah. So have I travelled? Have I got the Harley? You said that you got a Harley for your 30th birthday party. I threw a, a party for my friends and I had scones. So I gifted myself scones for my 30th birthday party. <laughs> and I was just thinking, God, I wish I was as cool as you. Um, <laughs> so we place our happiness on things that happen outside of us. Yeah. And when I'm working with someone and they say, oh, I just feel unfulfilled and I'm not satisfied because I just think I should be here and I expected life would be this way and my first statement is should let's get rid of the should and trade that for appreciation of what you do have should and expectation kills everything good in our life so when I'm working with someone I will encourage them to express gratitude here and now for the things that they do have and what they have accomplished because life is going to evolve we're going to change as cliche as it sounds you're not the same person you were when you were 29 29. I'm sure as hell not the same person I was last week I should feel, I want to feel gratitude for what I've accomplished in that last week instead of going, oh, I just wish it was different. And that's a really hard lesson to learn. But it's it's supporting someone shift that focus from outside things to inside feelings. Because an outside thing isn't going to fix how you feel on the inside, no matter how much you want it to. So it's supporting someone shift that focus inward a little bit and to make them understand, oh, you've got so many amazing things. Oh my god, I want a session with yeah, her I'm right literally, now. I'm literally <laughs> looking at you going, oh I, my god, you're saying everything I want to hear. I don't know if anybody in the room noticed that, but me and Courtney were just like, but yeah. <laughs> in society though, we are conditioned to obsess with everything that's going on around us. And the reason that we're obsessed with the youth or youth is because we've been told that the most important part or the most attractive part of our humanity is is our appearance. Yeah. And our appearance and how youthful we can make our appearance seem just seems to be more valuable. We value youth in today's society. And and that's one of the reasons why aging has become 
can be so stigmatized, especially in the Western world. Mm. We have a very, very distorted view of aging. And I'm very guilty and I'm very open and honest about my irrational fear of it, but I actively try to combat it and understand it every day. It's a funny thing, like you said there, about um, the Western world and the way that we view aging. I saw um, Michelle Pfeiffer just came out with a new movie. It's the... The Orient Express The Orient Express one, one, yeah. And so she hadn't been seen in a few years. She's been Mm -hmm. kind of laying low and she came out on the red carpet. She's 59 and she looks unbelievable. Mm. She really does. But but, I mean, she is one of the most beautiful women in the world. But I I read a headline that said it was something about successful ageing. And I, I just... It kind of took me back because I was like, oh, we've now put aging into a bracket of whether you're failing at it or whether you're it's succeeding at it. Yeah, wow. And it's it's weird because like if I've been out on nights out or something and I'm talking to people um, and somebody says to me or I say that I'm 31 or something, I would get a lot of like, oh, really, you don't look 31. And inside, I'm so guilty of it. There's a little bit of a glow of like, hmm, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm succeeding or something. But like you said, your yeah. rational fear of aging. But it's weird that we're putting so much pressure on whether or not people are succeeding at aging now. And I, I don't know if men have to deal with that in the same way. Well, mm. I think we can basically say that they don't no. have to deal with it in the same way. I, I, I would tend to disagree. I think that really? they do. I think what, when I was doing, uh, so before I, I gave my TED talk, I did a huge amount of research around eating disorders and, and the experience of a man and a woman. And whilst women will experience eating disorders or body image related issues more there is a growing number of men who are experiencing it as well. Uh, my partner works in a gym and he is overwhelmed with the number of young adolescents who are saying, oh, I need to be jacked. I need to be huge. I need to be big. So you mean like personal, personal kind personal, of on a, the outside, a, what appear- they look yeah, like? Yeah, appearances. Wow, okay. and, and, and again, the the obsession with trying to halt aging for men and women is is overwhelming. And I think we need to be very, very careful about how we talk about men because unless we can catch it, we're going to have both genders experiencing overwhelming levels of anxiety around their appearance and around yeah. their, their body image. Yeah, my this is funny because my um, understanding of ageing is different because I actually, and this is, sounds bizarre because obviously I work in an industry that is all about looks and, and appearance, but my understanding of ageing is... Um, is that like more about time? So it's it's got it's got nothing to do with my appearance. I don't mind aging. I don't mind getting the wrinkles. I don't mind getting mm. older. I mind running out of time before I have to retire and not achieving all the things I want to achieve. Like, yeah. but that's how I think of it. And I actually know that since you've mentioned that, I'm like that makes sense with me. That's what I think. I'm almost worried about as well. Yeah, it's so running like, out of time. Running out of time. Yeah. So it's like, but now I, I have started to change my mind on this because my mum recently set up a blog. I was going to say over the hill. Yeah, over it's the hill. Uh, and but it's, it has given me um, a completely different outlook on it because I always thought like, okay, so I'm 30 now, and let's say I only really will probably do this till I'm 60. Let's say. Um, and then I thought, that's it. What do you do then? You're retired and you sit at home and you do nothing. And that's kind of what my, mm. you know, idea of it was. My mom is past 60 now and she set up a blog two years ago mm-hmm. called Over the Hilda and she set it up as a hobby because she was a bit bored and she's flying. Yeah. And it's like she's almost started a new career mm. in her 60s and she's getting asked to do collaborations with brands and go off and do travel reviews wow. and all this sort of stuff. And she is 
absolutely loving life. It's given her a completely new lease. My mum is such a fan of that. <laughs> yeah. But it's brilliant. And they play golf together as well, by the way. I'm going to have to check her out. I think there's nothing better than seeing someone do what you are afraid of doing because yeah. it, it completely breaks down that barrier that you can't. But now I'm like, okay, so when I'm 60, I might have a career change. Yeah. I might have a career change before that. But like, mm-hmm. I'm like, so what could, you know, it, it, I now know that there is endless possibilities there's no mm. like there's no need for me to fear aging which was in my sense that I'm going to run out of time to do all the things I want to do as a stylist and work with all the magazines and the brands and the models that I want to work with because I know that like as long as I can have the energy and the want that there is endless possibilities so that's kind of exciting for me I think we've been very philosophical about aging so I'm going to bring it back to not being philosophical wrinkles (laughs) and bring it back to wrinkles for a second so they're testing this drug on mice at the moment and um, I can't remember what the name of the drug is at the moment it's hugely dangerous for humans to take it and it's probably not going to be ready for another 10 years or so Mm. (laughs) I was just about to ask you though would you take something that would stop the aging process entirely there was actually a novel it's called The Stone Gods and it was written in 2007 Mm. basically it's in a not too distant future and everybody has been genetically fixed to stop aging at the age of 25 but the protagonist Billy in it she decides not to do that so she just she doesn't want to live that way just the physical science of aging just the physical science so they continue to age and then they die at the appropriate age of like whatever age 80, 90 but they all look 25 I don't know, would you go for it or would you not? I mean, to be honest with you, if I was going to do that, I'm probably about six years late now. So <laughs> I probably should have stopped my time at 25. Mm. I, I was obsessed with, um, what was the movie, Death Becomes Her? And you know, when they drink the potion oh, and the yes. bum gets smaller and everything gets tighter. Yeah. And I'd be, <laughs> you can't see this, but I'm, <laughs> I'm making hand movements, gesture things getting tighter. Um, that was a great movie. It was a great mm, movie. Yeah, yeah I mean... No, I don't have a problem with aging. I really don't. I don't have a problem with my face aging. I'd like my body to say the same. <laughs> Can they bring out a pill for that? What do you think, Sarah? Um, would you freeze time? I No, I don't think that I would. Again, a lot of the work that I try to do and a lot of what I try to stand for is our worth and our value in this world cannot be conditioned on how we look in it. And if mm. we're going to empower women or men humanity in general to place so much value on their outer appearance yeah. it's yeah. a really it's a very dangerous message to 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 get behind yeah definitely um, so I would be far more concerned in, in, in sitting down with someone to try to embrace the beauty and 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 the uh, the health that is aging. I think that's what I would like to do. I also feel really sorry for the mice. Yeah, well, yeah. They're, they'll be fine. They're just going to be young forever. They're grand. <laughs> so, in ten years' time, then I'm going to ask you a question. So, you're coming? We're, we just come back in ten years, or no. you're going <laughs> to? I don't know where we're going to be in ten years. So, I'm not going to ask you to come back in ten years. But in ten years' time, what do you hope for yourself? Oh gosh, mm. that's I, a nice question. It's a good question to end on, but I yeah. feel like I'm going to need more than just one answer. So I want you to give me three things that you hope for yourself <laughs> in ten years' time. Nothing to do with beauty, just to do with where you are in your life. I think it's like, good to look back ten years ago and look at where you've come in ten years, and then mm-hmm. what you are hoping for in the next ten years, and not just a tight ass, Courtney. <laughs> Damn it! Okay, that was one of my answers. Hang on. <laughs> I want two Harleys. No. Um, (laughs) I would like to 
potentially bring out my own line of clothing or something like that. Okay. Ooh, I'll buy all of that. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Yeah. I will. Um, I didn't prep you for you this. You did not prep us <laughs> for this. But uh, okay. Right. I want to have done a stint in New York and worked abroad. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... They're Sarah's already just thinking. Yeah, just I know. No, I actually think that you should go to Brooklyn. That's in New York. It is. That's where I'm... My, my sister lives in New York and she did Manhattan um, and Queens and I've spent some time in Brooklyn. Oh, Brooklyn's amazing. You look like such a Brooklyn girl. Oh, thanks. Such a Brooklyn girl. Would my Harley fit in there? Totally. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, okay, let's see. So and your final one. one, babies, marriage... Haven't really talked about that at all this episode. Yeah, but no, babies and marriage aren't really. I mean, they'd be great, but they're not. Marriage not is not so important to me. Yeah. I'd like a baby event, maybe eventually. Okay, I'd be open to adoption though. I don't know if I particularly need to grow one. I've never really felt the need. I've never really thought about it. I'm mm. not like I'm. I like my my nephew, but I'm not super maternal. We'll come back to you for your final one, okay. Sarah. Three things that you hope for in the next ten years with a baby. You want a baby? Mm, oh yeah, Aww. oh yeah. I, I I would love um, a couple. Um, I'm getting married next February, so that's pretty Aww. awesome. Aww. Um, I would like to continue to grow the business. Mm-hmm. I like the direction that it's going in so far. I would like a deeper sense of acceptance. So I, I would like to feel a little bit calmer in my skin at times. Okay. I, I tend to overthink stuff a little bit. So I'd like to be able just to go, yeah, okay, cool. So to continue to grow the business and love what I, love what I do, to continue being really happy with James. And I have a dog, Lizzie, that I love. I'd love to get a couple more dogs. Um, if I could just be surrounded by my family, my babies and my dogs, I'd be so happy. Like, literally, that would be it for me. I just don't care where we are. I don't care where we live, what I'm wearing, how I look. I just want to be surrounded by my dogs, my babies and my James. I think my plan is to just hang out with Sarah more because you make yeah, me geez. so calm. You really do. Can I just steal all of hers as my answers? <laughs> So, Courtney, what's coming up for you now? What's happening with you and your career in the next while? What can we see from you? Oh, I'm off to LA next week. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of one of the main things. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a masterclass in styling, actually, in January Amazing. for up-and-coming stylists. Um, You're giving that, it. I'm, I'm doing one, yeah. Is because, that in Dublin, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I've, I get a lot of young stylists reaching out to me. Ones that are already established, ones that just want to do it. And it's actually something that there's not really offered in Ireland. There's a couple of styling courses, but um, I feel like I have, I have a lot of experience to offer. Um, yeah. So, and I have too many people requesting to be my intern. Yeah. I can't take them all. So I want to do them like as intense workshops with like maybe max 20 people because I think I don't want it to be this big massive room full of people who won't get one-on-one with me yeah. so I, mm. I feel that's what's missing so I'm gonna gonna do that so and how can people get in touch with you um you can email me on courtney at courtneysmith.e fantastic and Sarah what about you what about the better life project what can we expect from it um at the moment I've launched um and I'm growing an online learning community for women so um I'm inviting women to create short courses to support other women on their personal development and well-being journey so that's pretty fun the thing that sets my soul on fire are my Empowered Women workshops though and my next one is taking place on the 3rd of February in Dublin and it's a one day self-confidence, self-esteem and self-care event for women Um, and we just talk about 
everything that will help us live a more confident, happier and fulfilled life. And they are amazing. And the website is? TheBetterLifeProject.ie And me and Courtney will be at that. Oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm signed up. Yeah. Top of the list. I have a list of people who I want to go to your <laughs> workshops. So. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of clients who I think would love working under you, with you, beside you, near you on your Harley. <laughs> There's only space for one. <laughs> Ladies, we're going to have to wrap it up there. So thanks to our Athlete of the Week, Chloe McGee, my incredible panellists, Courtney Smith and Sarah Doyle. Shane Dempsey was on sound. Kat Stewart was helping me out. I'm Neve Marr and we'll chat to you next week.